here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. All right, folks. Happy Sunday night. We are in Oklahoma City, both members of the drop zone. I'm coming off a bachelor party in Austin, Texas. It's hot. Tiger Woods beat us to Tulsa, and uh, vibes are pretty good right now, Sean. Oh, and I should say the Celtics are in the Eastern Conference Finals. I was really looking forward to opening this podcast by welcoming in a losing member of the finals, being you, um, and it's just not the case, and it's brutal. I had to watch the Bucks lose from Midway Airport today. Mm. It's got to be among the worst places to watch your team lose. <laughs> and The uh, lesser Chicago airport. Yeah, dumpier. I, I flew southwest like a peasant. <laughs> your bags flew free, but you didn't even have any bags, I believe. No, I brought my golf bags. So oh, all right, give me good. A driver. But I flew southwest like a peasant, and my wireless earbuds have gone on the fritz so i was listening with wire headphones also like a peasant we can only go up from here wired headphones are underrated at this point in time (laughs) they're hipster um i would say just that not dealing with bluetooth connectivity is uh, really underrated especially if you're switching devices between phone and laptop That, Sean, may be a different subject for a different time uh, because, well, first of all, because we have to tell you about our friends at Radmore Golf. Sean, our presenting sponsor is the best golf apparel company in the game. I mean, I I wouldn't even necessarily say just golf apparel. They're just a Fuego apparel company making the most sustainable clothes in all of golf. Based in Seattle, just down the street from where I live. Uh, they are making some, well, Sean, this week I'm going to be rocking some of these shirts with like a nice band collar. So it's sort of like a blade collar, some striping, some spring colors. You got to check out this new spring collection at radmoregolf.com. That's R-A-D-M-O-R golf.com. Enter the code drop zone at checkout for 25% off your first order. Get there now, gear up for the PGA. One of my favorite things about the Radmore sponsorship is just how many of my Friends, family, uh, acquaintances have have dived in and yes. bought some gear. And one thing came up this weekend: someone w- who didn't know Radmar was looking at the logo, like, "What what logo is that?" Mm. And then my buddy who had bought some gear is like, "Well, it's Radmar. That's uh, Sean's podcast." And then we talked about it. We're like, you know what? Radmar is my sponsorship. It's our DZ sponsorship. But anyone who buys it, it's their sponsorship too. There's a real ownership. People that love the earth. People that love Radmore. Uh, I actually rolled up to uh, to Everett Golf Club last week. Fun, short, devilish little track. It's funny. I posted a picture of the 16th hole there because there's just trees like <laughs> looming in on either side, and people really liked that. Uh, but our pal Russell walked up to the first tee wearing a proper Radmore shirt. So anyway, it's everywhere. Go to RadmoreGolf.com. Use code DROPZONE. Sean, what did you think of the golf tournament this weekend? Oh, uh, it sounded like it sounded like the golf course was pretty easy. <laughs> I didn't watch a whole lot of it. I don't love when golf courses are super easy. These guys kind of blow through it. I actually talked to a member at Craig Ranch, a member from Craig Ranch this morning, and 
he was like, yeah, are you following the tournament? I said, yeah, they're making your golf course look easy. He's like, yeah, it is really easy. <laughs> and uh, Wow, I feel like a member never actually says that. Yeah, so not a great sign. Um, it is what it is for well, every event that goes to yeah. like the Arnold Palmer Invitational and Scotty Scheffler wins at six under or whatever he won at you know occasionally there's gonna have to be events like this so just kind of embrace it dive in when xander shoots 61 on sunday and you know try and talk about what it means yeah still still strokes gained over the average well and i think that what's interesting when you're talking about wow this was so easy 26 under is definitely a really low score but it's not unheard of as a winning score i think more to the point is just how people clumped in here. Like if you weren't shooting four or five under, you were just getting left in the dust. Uh, I think you had, you did have people in the edge of contention shooting 68 on Sunday and actually dropping in the field. Uh, our pal Martin trainer shot eight under for four days. Mm-hmm. That was good enough for a tie for 76th. So yeah, yeah, par was closer to probably 69, 68 than it was to the actual 72. Here's a take. Every golf course should end with a par five. Wow. I think I, I feel comfortable with that. Maybe, you know, every every tour course, let's just let's concede that way. Mm-hmm. Every course on tour should end with a par five. So you have what happened with Spieth uh, and KH Lee on Sunday where – they each had eagle chances. They both earned those eagle chances, and they both had great runs for eagle. And Spieth desperately needed his to stay in it. Just injects all the uh, the excitement you would ever need. I know that's not a typical Sean Zock take. <laughs> I would probably normally be upset at someone trying to make such a sweeping uh, generalization for all competitive golf courses. But in terms of like just watching a PGA Tour event come to the end, the fact that you can make par and that's a huge loss. The fact that you can make eagle and that'd be a huge win and a bogey would be life life threatening. <laughs> I kind of love that. Yeah, I mean, are you correct? N- no, probably not. But I see where you're going with it, and and I think what you want on the 18th hole is like maximum variability, like a, yeah. a fair hole, but where a lot of different things are also in yeah, play. Yeah, so it could totally be a par four, but as yeah. long as six is in play too. I mean. Today, it effectively was a par four, or all week, 18 was effectively a par four. For a while, it was playing under 4.0 stroke average on Sunday. Uh, I Jeez. think that that leveled out. I didn't see the final number there. But, uh, I mean, first, shout out to KH Lee, back-to-back mm-hmm. defending champion. Had not played very well this year. Had not played very well this year. Uh, but he and, I guess, Sam Burns, I think they're the only two players uh, to defend their titles so far this season. It's not something that really happens that often. Yeah, it's not happening next week. It's not happening next week. We will get to that in a moment. <laughs> but yeah, Cage Lee, uh, he had missed three cuts. He finished 25th to Wells Fargo and then comes in, gets that, I guess, just good mojo from last year and uh, channeled it into, into, I think, his lowest career round on tour. Came at the right time on Sunday, nine under 63, and he won by one shot over Jordan Spieth. Uh I mean, what do we know about KH Lee as a golfer? Not a ton. I'd say he's fairly anonymous to to the average PGA Tour fan. Yeah, only so long as he you don't put a microphone in front of him. I feel like every time he 
has a camera or like, he's very committed to learning English yes. and being able to speak it in interviews. He's a fun guy. Which is not something you can say for every uh, foreign player. You can't say that for Hideki Matsuyama. Um, not necessarily for Sung JM or a lot of those players. And I think that's, um, it, it isn't a requisite, you know, you don't have to, to learn a foreign language just because you play most of your golf in America, but it's, I think it's commendable and I think it's, it's admirable and he's done it in a pretty impressive way thus far. So that's not all we know about him. It just, I bring that up because every time he speaks now, he tends to say something pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, he's really funny talking about his own like body image. Uh, his, he grew up, his dad at a restaurant and next door there was a driving range and he would follow his dad over there. Eventually he took lessons. He kind of picked up golf. He said initially he was thinking that, you know, he would pick it up to lose weight, but he never lost any weight. Uh, <laughs> he said that his two goals in life, he wants to be uh, the number one golfer in the world and also the the sexiest man in the world. And there's this quote from uh, from an article on PGAtour.com a couple of years ago that <laughs> I just want to read it out. He said, being sexy means to be a muscular guy. It's in my dream, but not quite possible in reality. I want to be muscular, but I enjoy eating so much. For example, I try <laughs> not to eat dinner if I have a big lunch, but when dinner time comes, I'm usually hungry again. Dude, my God, is that speaking to me? I had. I will work out hard, <laughs> but I will eat hard as well. <laughs> I had lunch at 3 p.m. at Midway. Yeah, then you're late. <laughs> then I landed in Oklahoma recording. City, and I'm like, damn it, I'm hungry again. Uh, that's so relatable. Um, what is harder becoming sexiest man on earth or best golfer on earth? Wow. And what is more in your control? Probably. I would say it's gotta be harder to be the number one golfer in the world. I would say more people are attempting to be the number one sexiest man in the world. Well, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't know. There are thousands and thousands of pro golfers. I think there's like a hundred people that are like really focused on being sexy. I get most dudes at at a certain point, I think are settling for something far below number one, sexiest man in the world. Like just a certain level of dumping it just exemplified by probably whatever the two of us just ate for dinner. (laughs) How about Jordan Spieth? (laughs) This is why you listen to the drop zone folks. Uh, I mean, gosh, Spieth has, it's hard to imagine better vibes coming in this week than what Jordan Spieth's got going. Obviously, Scotty Scheffler, four wins this year, but he's kind of like seated behind the curtains a little bit this past month, just kind of like backed mm-hmm. up from the view. Uh, Spieth has inserted himself, played two events, and won one and finished second in the other. So I think as different as his golf swing kind of looks – Right now, compared to like maybe peak speed or whatever, he's got a rolling. And is he the kind of golfer that is maybe going to have like five or six different swing variations in his career? I think he might be. But is he like so gifted and smart and like have everything else in order that he can pull it off? I think that's maybe what we're learning. Like there's going to be iterations of speed. And he's going to probably be good at some point in all of them. And then there's going to be like valleys in between them that it might not look that good. But yeah. I think we're seeing a peak right now. It's funny. When we were talking about the Masters beforehand, it felt like there was almost no one, almost none of the top players, the usual suspects were in like top form. 
Mm-hmm. Basically, there were two guys that were super hot going into the event. <laughs> they were Scotty Scheffler and Cameron Smith. And boom, sure enough, it very neatly worked out that those were the two guys that were, you know, contending for the title. Uh, Speed's worst score this week was 67. He almost won uh, his hometown tournament. He hit a phenomenal shot into, well, he hit a phenomenal shot into the 17th, um, a nice little nine iron, and then really whiffed on a on a putt that just never even sniffed the hole. But then in 18, he was into the wind, reachable par five, and he was probably a yard away from, you know, getting the proper kick so that it, uh, so that he had like a look inside 10 feet for Eagle. So solid work by Jordan Spieth. I think any week you shoot 25 under going into an event. I mean, this, this may be stupid and irrelevant, but it might be easier for him. This may be the perfect thing for him to do going into the PGA championship. Like it may be kind of hard to win the week before the PGA and then win again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. You just have to add him to the list now though, to your point of dudes who we think are in much better form than they were the week before the Masters. K.H. Lee, chief among them. <laughs> yeah, K.H. Lee, Spieth. Uh, All right, but yeah, I mean, you can John start Rahm, at number one. Like Justin S- Thomas. Scotty Scheffler obviously has still just been playing fantastic golf. John Rahm is now coming off a victory. Uh, Morikawa, I guess, has been fine. Uh, Cameron Smith has still mostly not played that much since winning the players and finishing third at the Masters. Patrick Cantlay finished runner-up at the RBC. In his Won last the start. team event. Don't forget about the Zurich. Oh, yeah. I, I, look at me. <laughs> Hand up. I did forget about the Zurich. Rory has thrown up two straight top fives. Jordan Spieth has finished first and second. His friend, Justin Thomas, looked like he might sneak out a victory this week. He finished fifth, and it's definitely possible to, to imagine JT playing really well. Yes. If, if the green surrounds are what they've been... Mm-hmm. advertised at and then even xander shoffley one good round list. one good round in a row 11 under on sunday it's hard to come in much hotter than that how about, how about Hideki? sure one more down the world golf ranking he was beaten by one by xander on sunday he shot 10 under uh and he contended to win this tournament uh we don't have to go a whole lot further, but no, I mean the main point there being the dudes are rocking right now. Yeah. The dudes are rocking. It'll be a really fun week. I don't know much about Southern Hills, which hand up, that's on me. Yeah. <laughs> I know that Gil Hans touched it. And when, when Gil Hans touches something, <laughs> Hey, you're absolutely right. He sure did. He, he makes it better. Um, there, there hasn't been like a, a really long list of Gil Hans doing it to like major championship courses that have hosted majors since his work. Mm. Um, I think he did the work at winged foot. Yep. And, but like not a lot of other like, Oh, Hans did that. And this is the first time we're seeing it. So this will be just another, uh, an example of seeing what his changes actually mean like for the best players in the world. Cause we know what they mean at, Aronimink and uh, all the other places in the Northeast that he's touched and the courses that he, the course he, he designed in stream song. Like those are courses that generally don't get taken on by Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson. Yep. But does, does Gil Hans's game travel to the pro mm. level? Uh, I think it very much does, but I, I'm excited to see what that looks like. Well, and Sean, visually. I'm actually glad that you don't have any opinions on it yet because on Tuesday, 
we're going to do another mm. mega preview podcast. Great point. So I think our observations from the course itself are going to definitely work their way into that. Where are, we, where are we doing that one? Can't wait. James McNally's. James E. McNally's. Uh, I believe it's the South James McNally's in, I think it's in downtown Tulsa. So if you are one of the, the few, the proud, maybe the many Tulsa, Oklahoma viewers of the drop zone, that's where we'll be on Tuesday evening. Come talk golf with us. Hell yeah. We're going to have some, uh, some famous pals with us there too. So uh, I think good times are going to be had by all. Sean, do you want to talk about Phil Mickelson? Are you filled out? Uh, I I honestly am. No, I'm I'm ready to talk about Phil, but I don't think I view this thing in the same way as anybody does. That the that's mm. the vibe that I get right unique now. Unique take. I was no, I was I was pretty checked out uh, when the Phil news dropped. Did it drop on Friday? What day it was it? Was a it? classic Friday news dump. Friday news dump. I. You know, I was having a couple pals over on Friday. I was in hosting couple mode. Couple pops, couple pals. I went and got a haircut. I went and mm-hmm. picked up some garlic bread. The whole, you know, a friend was coming over. We we're cooking lasagna. The Bucks were going to take on the Celtics in game six. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I don't really care. I don't, I'm done with golf for, for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly I checked my phone and Phil Mickelson, the statement is not even from Phil. It's from the PGA of America. And the statement was just was a little odd if you like yeah you can very much look into the words of it and the statement said like phil has he has made us aware that he intends to withdraw um you know we wish all the best to him and amy that and amy part could be absolutely nothing Mm -hmm. could be something too i don't think amy mickelson has been included in any of our thoughts in terms of what's been going on with phil or many of our thoughts over the past few months it's really just been, well, what's going on with Phil? What does Phil think of this all? And the fact that like Amy was injected into that statement made me think like maybe there's something going on with her. Maybe there's something going on with Phil that we like we don't know about. That's all that I, I wanted to, to bring it up is because everyone's reaction was like, is either like good riddance, we don't need him, or can you believe that maybe he's banned or like why is Phil canceled? And it was all this like, Everyone was upset that they don't get to see Phil next week. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't, I, I came to grips with the fact that I don't necessarily need to see Phil this mm-hmm. week. Like I've, I've had some distance from the guy and I don't need him to shoot 75 in front of me this week <laughs> to remind me where he's at. Of yeah. course, of course it is sad that the guy can't have his his defending champion press conference get announced on the first tee, uh, you know, as the defending champ and all that stuff. But I don't know. I feel like I, this wasn't that surprising. You believed that it was going to be this way for a long time. Um, But to your point, Phil, we've said this before on this podcast, Phil has not gotten canceled. He is not (laughs) playing the PGA championship because he is choosing not to play the PGA championship. Whether there's a threat of suspension buried somewhere deep down there, you know, it's not impossible. But it seems, for all intents and purposes, as though he definitely could play the PGA Championship or he could at least make a big fuss about it. He's choosing not to. He's playing golf. You know, a bunch of photos keep emerging from around San Diego. Um, 
but yeah, I guess, I mean, to your last point there, it's certainly a more uh, interesting and compelling resolution that Phil is not here to defend his championship rather than, you know, showing up and missing the cut. What I think is interesting is that uh, there have been numerous majors in the last eight to 10, 15 years where Phil has not been there or Tiger hasn't been there. You know, Phil has skipped majors to be at his children's graduation ceremonies. Phil has skipped majors because of this. Tiger has skipped majors because of his health. Um, and it feels like every time Tiger has had to miss, it has had a much bigger shadow over the tournament than when Phil has missed. And that's because Tiger's shadow hovers over the game in a different way than Phil. Um, but I bring that up mainly to say, with all due respect... I think we will be over this really quickly. <laughs> I yeah. think Southern Hills will become the bell of the ball. We will have 30 different press conferences to pay attention to early in the week. A number of those will ask about their thoughts on Phil. And then the first tee balls will be in the air on Thursday. And we won't be thinking about this on the weekend. I really think it's going to be kind of washed by quickly. Um, and maybe that's the the point of a Friday news dump, right? Just like... Let's get people to know what they need to know, and then we'll stop talking about it. Um, it is still odd, though, the way it went out, right? Phil makes the announcement that he asks for a release for the first live golf event in London, quote, to keep his options open. He enters the field for the PGA Championship. He enters the field for the U.S. Open. He's just keeping all his options open, but now he has shuttered one of those options. <laughs> so... The next one, theoretically, is the Live Golf Invitational. Uh, it's the week before Brookline. Yeah. The one major he has. He's entered won. in both. Yeah. Like, if you think this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> wait three weeks. God. Yeah. Well, Sean, we've mentioned Jordan Spieth. We're going to mention Scotty Scheffler. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to one other Texas Longhorn legend. Because, you know, when you were when you were giving up on Phil on Friday night, I was headed to Vince Young's Steakhouse. Oh, Austin! <laughs> how was it? How how was the the Vince Young cut? Had a great time. Uh, Wait, would what, strongly what, recommend. Is there like a Heisman cut on the menu or something like that? Mm, I don't think there's a high, but no. I mean, there's certainly your your wide variety of of steaks. Uh, someone at the table maybe tried to order a salmon, got really called out hard. Yeah, and then, appropriately so. Yeah. Um, also, did Top Golf in Austin on Thursday. I'd say if anyone's on the fence having a bachelor party and they're wondering, should we play golf or should we just do Top Golf? Just if you, if you're only playing one round of golf for a bachelor party and it's not like, you know, Pebble Beach, something you're going to write home about, yeah. TPC Sawgrass, then just do Top Golf because it's so fun. You can eat, you can drink, you can, you know, your pals that suck at golf doesn't you, matter at all. Did you win the the top golf? Yeah. Actually, nice. my, we played Pebble. We were playing some virtual golf <laughs> and my buddy Dan was careering it and uh, we were tied through like five holes and then he, he made a, a, like an 11 on number six. So it was good for me. <laughs> all right. Well, Global Golf is the second sponsor of the Drop Zone and Dylan... I've been saying it week after week after week. There is one letter on the mind of golf right now. What letter is that? T. 
TW? No, the letter is U. Global Golf has U on their mind right now because Global Golf has various services called U Try, U Trade In, and U Select. They're all about getting people into the right golf clubs for them. People have been asking me about this service. Like, Sean, I, I kind of need new clubs. Should I like go to Dick Sporting Goods? Should I you know, walk down the street to the nearest country club and buy them off the rack? No, you should go to Global Golf. Let's talk about their services. You try is about you trying brand new gear for two weeks. It's a little rental, but you don't really have to rent it. If you love it, you keep it. It's just a demo. If you don't love it, you send it back. You trade in allows you to trade in your previously owned gear for credit towards the newest and best. And finally, you select. It's all about personalized recommendations from golf professionals to help you select the best gear to fit your game. That is you try, you trade in, you select. It is all about you, the golfer at Global Golf. Check it out at globalgolf.com. Sean. Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. Big Scotty. Big win hottie. for Scotty's Dallas Mavericks tonight. Scotty will be a happy man when we see him at the golf course tomorrow because I've heard he is a massive, massive Mavs fan. He took in one of their playoff games, was hanging out with Jalen Brunson afterwards. He's uh well, let's I just want to keep the details about his his Mavs fanhood. For you know my later work, there's some there's some good tidbits. Okay, about okay. Some, uh, Watch some, this space for yeah, more. Some, some congratulations he got um, after the Masters from some some former Mavs. Wow. Anyways, Scotty, uh, we sat down. It was like 13 days after his Masters win, mm-hmm. something like that. 16 days after his Masters win, um, spent three hours with him down at Royal Oaks Country Club. That's his home course down in Dallas and got to know the man a little bit. We talked about every one of his four wins this year, kind of broke down little aspects of each of them. Um, You and I have talked about it a lot. It's like, does this guy win at Bay Hill if he doesn't beat Patrick Cantlay in the playoff in Phoenix? I would say he barely even got into that playoff because the guy barely made the cut that week. Like this whole thing could come crashing down if he doesn't make the cut on Friday by, I think he made it by two, but he, he was, was, was including a late birdie from like 40 feet on the seventh hole at Scottsdale. So anyways, um, we broke it all down with Scotty. And um, my favorite part was when he broke down what he did after the masters. All right. That's all the teas I need. Dive in. Here's Sean Zock and Scotty Scheffler. All right, Scotty. A ridiculous last few months, but I want you to go back to Super Bowl Sunday. You had zero career tour wins at that point. A great start to your career, Ryder Cup team, but zero wins at that point, and now you have four. You have the WGC, you have the Invitational, you have the Open, and you have the Masters. How do you explain the last two and a half months when people ask you about it? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't really know how to explain it. I've just been playing good and um, just been fortunate to win a few times. And everybody always, you're not everybody, some people would always say that, you know, once somebody wins one, the floodgates are kind of open. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, that actually was true. And so um, I've been on a little good stretch here lately. And um, you know, I'm trying to take advantage of it while I can, while I'm playing good golf, you know. Are you getting tired of people asking you to explain it? People like um, me saying, what is the deal here? Yeah, not really. I mean, 
I don't know how to explain this. The answer is always the same. I'm like, I, I didn't make any crazy changes to my golf game. I didn't have a mental switch. I didn't, I'm not really doing anything different than I was doing a few months ago. It just so happened that I was yeah. able to win a few tournaments. Has anything in your life changed in the last two and a half months drastically? Drastically, no. I mean, we, we live in the same house. We didn't buy anything crazy. We just are living our normal lives. It's, uh, everything's been happening so fast that right when we get back home, we just try and make things as normal as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to start with the start, which was the Phoenix Open, a playoff against Patrick Cantlay, a three-hole playoff, but people forget that you almost didn't make the weekend there. Yeah. Um, it never really felt like it was in true jeopardy, but I, I can't even remember my first two rounds. I do remember the end of the second round. I made a late bogey on six, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, crap. Like, now I'm one shot from the cut line. And then I had, like, a 30-footer for birdie on seven because I was, I was finishing on number nine. Mm -hmm. And I ran it by the hole, like, seven feet. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, if you miss this, like, now you're on the cut line. Like, you need to, like, pull it together. And so I made that one. And then the next hole I made, like, a 40-footer for birdie to give myself a little cushion with the cut line on number nine and then made a good par. And, um, you know, then Saturday started happening. And. Um, I played pretty good. You, yeah, you, you kind of went low with a little 62 on Saturday. Yeah. You eventually win in a three-hole playoff, right? You sink a putt for the win. Patrick Cantlay could have taken that tournament from you a couple different times. But once you get the win, how does that change your perspective on tour, how you think you're perceived on tour? Does it change the way you think people are talking about you? I mean, it may change the way that you all would talk about me, but for me, I didn't change any like thoughts in my head or anything like that. Um, I will say... Like, Phoenix was one of those weird weeks. Phoenix was a week where I kept telling Teddy the first two days, like, dude, I'm playing really good, and I'm not scoring at all. Like, the first day, I maybe shot one or two under, and I was like, that is literally the highest I could shoot today. Like, I'm playing great. And so, you know, what we talked about was just kind of just keep trying to hit shots, just keep playing, and then eventually things started to go well. But, like, I mean, if it's y'all's perception changes, for me, it's, it's nothing different. Um, going into Bay Hill... I did feel a little bit different in contention then. It was kind of more of one of those things that I, I took a lot of that experience from Phoenix and used it when I was at Bay Hill. Mm -hmm. and I, was, um, I, I stayed really tough mentally on that golf course to, to finish well there. Yeah, so how does that feel different in your mind, that second win? Because you made some ridiculous pars on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I think on 14 at Bay Hill, a par I didn't think you were going to have a chance of making. You, that was way more of a grind. A different golf course, different conditions. How does that feel different in your mind than the Phoenix win? So what I learned from the final round in Phoenix was I think I made four bogeys, maybe on yeah, the front nine, yeah, all in the, uh, the final round. And so if you would have told me a year ago that I could win a golf tournament um, from behind, bogeying four holes in the front nine, I would have, especially in Phoenix, which is not a, you know, a, I mean, it's not an easy golf course, but, um, you know, it's, or sorry, it's not a hard golf course, but it's not really easy either. It's kind of one of those middle of the road ones. I think I won it maybe 16 under. Yep. Um, but I always thought that going into the final round, I had to play like this amazing, like really great round. And I really only had a good stretch of holes in that round. Um, I just finished really well. Uh, outside of that, the final round, I was kind of all over the place. Um, and so for me, what I learned was I don't have to play perfect. And so when I was hitting it poorly Sunday in Bay Hill, it was kind of like one of those deals. It was like, I know what I need to do, and that's just stay in it and just try and hit good shots and not overthink things. So when I did make mistakes, I never really let it bother me. Is that somehow learned by winning when you're young, winning in college? Like, I think there's a lot of people that get into that moment, back nine on Sunday at Bay Hill, and they freak out when they're not playing well. Like, how did you know that you didn't have to freak out? 
Um, I don't know. I think I think winning is a skill, kind of. Okay. Um, and so, like for me, I was able to win a little bit when I was a junior, and you kind of become not used to it, but like when you're in that moment, like I really want to win, and so letting little stuff phase me is not going to help me win a golf tournament if I'm letting my swing bug me or. Um, I kind of always go back to when I started on the Corn Ferry Tour. My first event, I was overthinking everything. I was overthinking my swing, my mechanics, all kinds of stuff. And I missed the cut in the first event. We go to the second one, and I was like, screw this. Like, I'm not thinking about this stuff anymore. Like, this is useless. Like, I'm not going to worry about my swing. I'm just going to go out and play golf. And I basically just started playing like I was a kid again, like enjoying it and hitting all kinds of shots and, you know, doing things differently than other guys did. And I started rattling off some good events. Um, and then I, I've just kind of stuck to that. You've got a lot of practice at winning now. <laughs> uh, you've won four times in the last two and a half months. Are you good at celebrating your wins? Do you feel like you are, you are good at appreciating those moments? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's one of those things that's like, the winning feeling is so fleeting. So like, I win in Phoenix and it's awesome. Like we had a great night Sunday. It was so much fun relaxed a lot Monday, kind of enjoyed having the first win, and then Tuesday came and it's like, okay, we're at another tournament, like, I want to do that again, that was really fun. Um, and then I don't win in, in LA, you know, um, Waco just beat the crap out of all of us that week. And, um, <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's like, what golf course was he playing that week, you know? And um, it's just, you enjoy that moment so much, but then you, it's so fleeting. And the next day it's like, I got to do it again. Like, that was awesome. How does Ted Scott help you win golf tournaments? A variety of different ways. Yeah. I mean, we talk about every shot from Thursday to Sunday. and um, But is there something he does on Sunday for you that maybe you didn't have before or that you think is maybe unique to him that really seems yeah. to keep paying off? Yeah, I think what's really unique to Teddy is his personality. He's totally unfazed. Yeah. Um, I remember one, one moment in Phoenix that we had, I think it was Thursday. Like, I got this horrendous break in a bunker. I had a really easy bunker shot that would have been easy, but my ball was in like a hole. And so it went from being a cake shot to a really, really hard shot. And I somehow pulled off like this amazing shot to like nip it and land it on the fringe to trickle it down to the hole because I couldn't get any height on it because it was sitting so down low in this hole. Mm -hmm. And I hit this amazing shot and it lands on the fringe right where I want to and then goes into a sprinkler head and just spins around. Instead of having a putt from a foot, I have a 12 footer and I'm freaking out. I'm like, how could this happen? And he's standing up on the green, literally laughing at me. And I'm sitting there like looking at him like, dude, come on, man. Yeah. But then, you know, he just snaps me out of the frustration really mm -hmm. quickly. And, um, you know, most caddies, I don't think would do that. Like yeah. they don't have the guts to laugh at their player when yeah. something like that is yeah. happening. And, you know, he just keeps things really light. And we talk through all of our shots on the golf course. Mm -hmm. There's um, pretty much never a shot that I, I don't discuss with him. Then you move to Austin. You win where you went to school. Uh, you win by beating DJ and the match play king, Kevin Kisner, on Sunday. Uh, was that in some way like a more affirming victory in the way you won it? Because it's another completely different tournament. Like Phoenix is sometimes a birdie fest. Arnold Palmer is a grind fest. This is match play. How different did that one feel? It was a lot different. I would say there's a lot more nerves surrounding that one on Sunday. Um, it's such a long week, and the way it ended the year before, I was disappointed. Yep. Um, obviously, you know, you you play I guess seven rounds of golf and then come up, you know, a few shots short. It's very mm -hmm. frustrating, and I hadn't won at the time, and so that was a real punch in the gut for me at the time, just because you know I really felt like I was going to win that golf tournament, and what better opportunity there is to win one than only having to beat one guy. 
you know. Yep. Um, you know, granted, it's Billy who's obviously really good in match play, but you know, still wasn't able to get it done. And he almost got you again that week. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun match. I was, it was funny. I, I like I said before, thinking I needed to play perfect golf. I had a really bad front nine against Billy, but I just hung in there, and I ended up hitting the shots down the stretch to where I could close out the match. Um, and you know, it's one of those weird deals where he could have just as easily beat me that day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the chips have to fall in the right place for you. But Austin was was pretty emotional, and going back to like the winning is a fleeting yeah, it feeling. had to be. Your dad came out there, yeah. and hugs you. You you know in your mind you're the number one player in the world. All of your family knows it, and he says, "I'm more proud of who you are as a person than for your golf." And you're just getting a fleet of hugs in the moment. But gosh, I think people at home were getting choked up. Were you getting choked up in that moment too? Yeah. Um, I would say that like the winning feeling, I always imagine having a moment like that, but you have to stay so composed for so long to win the tournament. So by the time you actually win the golf tournament, you're kind of like still in the phase of like, I'm you're locked in. I'm locked in. And then when the tournament ends, it's kind of like, oh, I want to celebrate, but at the same time, I'm still mm -hmm. locked in. Austin was really the first time where I kind of just got done. I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to enjoy this. Yep. Like they're... Other than the Masters, there's probably not another tournament I want to win more on the PGA Tour than Austin. Like, okay. I, you know, I went to college there. I just dreamed of being in that field and to win that tournament in front of everybody was mm -hmm. amazing. And um, yeah, that was pretty emotional. I really, really enjoyed that one. There was, um, you know, a lot at stake trying to become the number one player in the world. Um, and you know, it's I'm, I'm glad <laughs> my dad is so funny. You know, sometimes in those moments he'll make fun of me, or you know, we have a good relationship with stuff like that. And so when we got done, he's like, "Man, I'm glad I didn't say something stupid and start making fun of you. I didn't know there was a camera on." And um, yeah, that was that was pretty special. Now, you also, I don't, I think, made headlines by saying you never th thought that getting to be number one was something that like, you never reached that in your dreams. That was the line. Yeah. I never got this far in my dreams. What does that mean? Like, does it mean that you never imagined it or that you never focused on it or what were in your golf dreams? My dream always was to play on the PGA Tour. And so obviously I wanted to win tournaments. I wanted to win majors. I want to win the masters. I want to do all these things. And where the mind goes is I want to do everything. I want to accomplish all that I can. Um, but I never really focused on a world ranking or focused on winning this certain tournament. It was always just trying to improve. And so when I said I never got there, I never really considered world rankings. You know, I yeah. never thought about becoming the number one player in the world. And you know, I remember seeing some quotes from guys in college and you know, when they're young on tour, it's like, I want to be the plus, best player in the world. I want to do this. And for me, I was always just trying to improve. I never really considered that stuff um, just because like, well, it's yeah, a little dangerous, too. I, I, yeah. I remember seeing that you saw, or that you said, pretty much the only time in your life that you've considered the rankings is when you were trying to qualify for WGCs. You were, you were in that, like, 70 to 50 range. Yeah. And you said that, that that was the only time you considered rankings, and it was in the back of your head, and you played poorly that week. Did you yeah. learn something about yourself when you played poorly, when all that stuff is kind of swirling in your head? Yeah, I'll, I'll remember that week for a long time because we were in we were at Riv, and I think it was like Colin and I were like 51 and 52 in the rankings, and we were both playing on Sunday. And like all we had to do was play decent mm -hmm. to get into the next week. And I ended up having a weird round where I had like a bunch of birdies and a bunch of bogeys because I was playing good at the time, but I wasted so much energy considering the rankings. Like 
obviously you want to get into the WGC. It was my first WGC. You get into the top 50 in the world, you get into the Masters, you get into all these tournaments, and it's kind of your key to that second level of being on the PGA Tour. And I just wasted so much energy considering it yeah. that after the week I was like, why, why was I so consumed with that when all I have to do is just try and play good golf? It's a dangerous game. Yeah, very. Do you, do you read about yourself? Do you, are you interested in any of the, the ways in which you're covered? And Not really. Um, for the most part, you know, I, I love what the media does for us, giving us the exposure in a platform. Like, I really do, but at the same time, like, some people in the media may have a habit of building you up to a point, and then all of a sudden, more than more stuff you read becomes negative. Sure. It's like, there always has to be something to write about. And so for me, I'm not going to get consumed in stuff, whether it's really good or negative, yeah. because if it's really good, then all of a sudden I'm going to start thinking really highly of myself, and that's not going to benefit me at all. And if I start reading negative stuff, then... I'm going to start having a negative view, viewpoint of myself. And so I'd rather just stay kind of in the middle. I think even keeled Scotty might be your new nickname, <laughs> something like that. All right, Masters questions. That's the biggest of the four wins. Saturday night of the Masters, I believe you said you were headed home to watch season four of The Office. Yep. Have you finished season four of The Office? No, we have what? not. What? Yeah. Um, we've been slowing weeks? down. We... Uh, I can't remember what we did. It was a relaxing week at home for sure. Okay. Spent a lot of time in the backyard. We're in the middle of season four now, but we also watched Yellowstone, so we've been kind of cranking through that as okay. well. Um, but what? we did watch two episodes that night. Okay. Yeah, two we episodes. did. Uh, I, I was a man of my word. <laughs> what character from The Office do you most closely align with? I really can't choose. Okay. Like, wow. Um, it's fun watching it from the beginning again because the characters like really develop. And so you kind of get to know everybody differently. Mm -hmm. And like as the seasons go on, the storylines for each character, like they have to keep doing something. And so as the show goes on, you just get introduced to more and more of each character. Mm -hmm. And so like it's hard to not love Steve Carell, like yeah. Jim and Dwight are just hilarious. Yeah. Um, Why is that the show that you and, and your wife are going through? Well, it was my favorite show for... Um, I think since I discovered Netflix and I saw that it was on there because I wasn't <laughs> old enough to watch it when it was coming out on TV. Um, and so I wasn't a huge fan then. When it came out on Netflix, I was like, okay, this is... I, I love to laugh and I love funny shows and funny movies and so that's something I that gravitated towards. Yeah. Uh, can you explain Sunday morning, the emotions going through your mind in your head when you're you know, at home waking up, you've got to deal with the time it takes to get to like 3 p.m. in your tea time. What's going through your head and what made you so emotional? There's so much that goes on with that golf tournament because it's the Masters. You know, it's, it's the golf tournament. Like you said, it's the one that moves the needle for golf. It's what everybody pays attention to. And, you know, you get the green jacket, you get to come back to Augusta for life. And um, there's so much that surrounds that tournament. And so there's just a lot of emotion there because if I do get the job done, it's this amazing deal, but then there's so much other stuff that goes on. Like my life off the golf course can change to where maybe more people are recognizing me. You're more in the spotlight and there's so much more that's attached to that golf tournament than just playing it. And I want to win it really badly. And what better chance than with a three shot lead on Sunday and to where, you know, a group of us had kind of extended from the rest of the pack. There was really only a handful of guys that could have won. And so once again, what better opportunity to win than the one that I had, like how, how much better can it get? And so for it to be my first one, um, there's just a lot going on. You had no choice but to like kind of take, take note of the context of what was happening here. Like you couldn't not think about your future, right? Yeah, I mean, what tournament would I want to win more than the Masters, you know? And 
what better opportunity. And so I think a lot of that kind of weighed on me just because I had already done it Saturday morning where there's a lot of stress, but there's not as much because it's the finality's not attached to it. Um, and then Sunday morning was a long morning, but once I got to the golf course, it was kind of more relaxed. That, that's the stuff that's easier. Playing golf is easier than thinking about playing golf. Mm -hmm. uh, the third hole, mm -hmm. probably the most iconic shot hit on the third hole in Masters history. I think we can comfortably say that. Did you hit a perfect golf shot or did you get lucky? Um, what percentage of that was luck? I think hitting the, like actually going in, there's a lot of luck attached to that because um, it's not like I was up there saying it's six inches outright and, you know, figuring out the science where the spot is below it. It was kind of just a field thing where I'm just trying to get the ball up there around the hole mm -hmm. and it just happens to go in. Um, and so like you see, you see guys like Jordan holding out all the time. That's not because like he's only thinking about making the chip. He just happens to always be going around the hole. Like it's not just blind luck that he chips in all the time. Mm -hmm. Like when the ball is always approaching the hole at the right speed, it's going to go in more often. Yeah. And so um, all I'm trying to do is just kind of feed the ball towards the hole and then you know, just fortunate to see it go in. Three and a half-ish hours later, it's becoming reality. Does it, when, when on the back nine did it start to hit you that you were going to get it done? Um, I would say probably after 15, like Cameron hit it in the water on 12. Um, I made a, a really, really good par there. That was one of my best up and downs of the day. And then parred 13, birdied 14, and then 15 is a scary hole. Like you can, there's so much bad stuff that can happen there. Like there's the back nine there is so special because you can play great and you could just completely implode. And, and 15, now the hole's even harder. Yeah. T back. Um, <laughs> I went for the green and two because I was like, I'm gonna just at least try. The wedge shot is so hard. Yeah, like you're hitting. Take it out of the play. You're hitting on a down slope into the grain. Like it's it's if you get a bad lie, it's hard to make really good contact. Um, and after I hit the second shot over and I had another nice up and down, I kind of had a five shot lead, and I was like, okay, now I really feel like it's my tournament to win. Mm -hmm. And all I got to do is close it out. Made a good part on 16, and I was kind of relaxed, like. I mean, I can make two doubles on 17, you know? Yeah. And I relaxed for a split second on 17 and hit a horrible golf shot. Yeah. And I was mad. I was like, let's snap. Like, I don't want anything bad to happen. Like, snap back into it, get back to playing. And I made a great par. I let myself enjoy it when we started walking up to 18. Yeah. And that's why people say, don't get ahead of yourself one shot at a time. All those cliches, they, are, they reign true. Because that's when I had one of those moments, like, where... I accomplished it. I can get the ball in the hole in like six or seven shots or whatever it was. And um, Can we laugh about it? Yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> laughing about it when it happened because I told Meredith after the round or like when we were walking off, I was like, man, I'm actually kind of glad I four-putted because if I would have made the second putt or made the first one, I would have been like an emotional wreck. And so being able to actually laugh at that Wait, made, Why do you think that is? You got to be able to laugh at yourself. But um, why would you think you would have been emotional if you made a three there? Is it just happened quickly? I think just because I would have gone from like so in the zone to like everybody's cheering, my family's there, Meredith's family's there, to all of us, like it was in Austin where it was like, oh my gosh, like I just won the Masters, this is insane. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have just been a wreck. But since I four-putted, you're able to kind of laugh at it. Like that was really funny. Like yeah. who's ever four-putted to win the Masters? Scotty Scheffler has. <laughs> uh, this whole run has been incredible, but has there been any part of it that's been hard for you? you know, four wins in however many weeks. What's been the hardest part of, of this stretch when you make everything look easy? 
Um, I wouldn't say that I've been making it look very easy, but um, you know, that's a good question. I think energy levels are a little low. Yeah. Right now, I'm glad I have a little break here. Um, but you know, Meredith and I, we've really just been enjoying some some time at home. Um, I've always kept a pretty low profile around here, and that's definitely not gonna gonna change. Um, what does that look like for you? Like the week after the Masters, like I went to. Home Depot and got like some lawn equipment and just like clean the backyard for like four days straight because I love being outside um, but I wasn't going to come practice or do anything like that and so for me I was just like kind of hung out in the backyard and like accomplished something and like you know when you it's I like just, mowing the grass or like doing your laundry like you feel like accomplished and so like when I clean our pool and like leaf blow the backyard like and it looks nice I'm like yes I accomplished something today I didn't just totally sit on my butt. <laughs> uh, Okay, and then last question. You said that you felt like you weren't being noticed after the three wins as much. Do you feel like you're being noticed a little bit more now in terms of being out in public? Does it feel like people are uh, aware of who Scotty Scheffler is? Uh, not really. I mean, <laughs> every now and then, I, I told you a little bit earlier, like Meredith and I kind of, there's a few places we like to eat around our house. They're like two minutes from our house. And so when we come back from a tournament, like we don't have groceries or anything, so we can't cook. So we go out and like get breakfast and coffee and all that stuff. And we went to our usual spots and it was like alarming how many people were coming up. Um, but it was because it just happened like 12 hours ago. People were surprised that we were back. And, yeah, um, I would be. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of one of those funny deals where Meredith and I got home. We were like, man, that was a lot. Like, I don't like that was weird. Um, and then we did it again Tuesday and like, one person said hello, and so it was right back to normal for back us. Back to normal. Yeah. Scotty Scheffler, there's nothing normal about four wins, but congrats, and I guess good luck on getting number five soon. Yeah, thanks. All right, folks, that was Sean Zock with Scotty Scheffler, Masters champion, four-time winner on the PGA Tour this year. Sean, pretty good get for the drop zone. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it was necessarily a drop zone get in the sense that, like, don't diminish this moment for us, for me personally, especially. Uh, um, one thing I liked is that Scotty signs his autograph, Scott Scheffler. Mm. No IE. That's his dad's name, right? But he doesn't care to like drop the IE in every other you know, reference across the world. It's Scotty everywhere else. But if he's signing a golf ball for you, a golf glove, it's Scott. Hmm. The more you know. The more you know, Sean. Uh, where are we doing our podcast on Tuesday at the PGA Championship? James E. McNellies. McNellies. There's two. There's two of them in Tulsa. I've been told it is the South one. The South Tulsa location. So, see you there. We will see you there. Can't wait. This is the drop zone. Be back in 48 hours. <laughs>